Welcome to Leadership Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about what it means to lead, why their leadership identities matter, and how they leverage their leadership identities for career and business success. Some of these interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. This episode tackles the topic of leadership identity. Put simply, your leadership identity is how you see yourself as a leader. It encompasses your values and beliefs, your personality characteristics, and your capabilities. We'll be talking to three different leaders for this episode. Jackson Liang, the Area General Manager of China for Dale Carnegie Training. Tracy Dobby, President of the Warwick Chamber of Commerce. And Joyman Gay, CEO of Classic Recruiting, who will be interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Kate Davis. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Gyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Good morning, Jackson. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning, Daniel and uh, Andre. Jackson, can you tell me a little bit about what you do in your current role and for your current organization at the moment? Yes, and my name is Jackson Liang. Chinese name is Liang Zichen. I am currently employed in Carnegie training as a senior trainer, and I'm a master trainer as well. And what sort of things do you do when you're training people in your role? I'm working in Carnegie for the past 20 years. I first studied as a consultant and after around three years, I have moved up as the manager of South Taiwan. In 2001, I was asked to come to China to management, set up the mainland China office. Starting in Shanghai, I've been the management director here for over 18 years. Through all this time, I was first a part-time consultant speaker, and still now I'm a master trainer. Being able to teach all the sorts of classes, including leadership, sales presentation, process improvement, and the teamwork classes. And what other types of leadership roles have you had in the past? Uh, there are three types of role in Carnegie. First is consultant. And the main test would be to understand the client needs and the design classes that would be suitable for their needs. Second would be the trainer role, which is in sense is the one that teach methods that would could be able to solve their problem and uh, or assist them to achieve breakthrough in their expertise. Third, will be more of a managing role, which including managing both people as well as process in our work. These three roles are in twins and uh, in separate from each other. All of it require a degree of delegation and management, which to me is important. Yes, it's very important, and it's, it's it's interesting how those roles build on each other, but you use all of them in your current role. Jackson, what we're going to talk about now is we're going to move on to leadership identity, and that's what this week is about. Um, and put simply, your leadership identity is how you see uh, and understand and define yourself as a leader. So what do you think it means to have a leadership identity? Okay, uh, leadership identity is, in sense, its ability to observe the versatile environment 
and the uninfluence of other people. The key is influence down to, to the heart. Normally, leaders are in a position to demand or to ask. Now that to demand to ask is bad, but this influence is only for a short term. True leadership is more long term. In other words, it's not only about having a keen sense on things, but moreover, an interest in people. For example, in the current COVID-19 situation, how do you keep up a sense of what is going around the world while finding creative methods to tackle new things and continually gain support and cooperate from others? The uh, Darwin theory on evolution, that one that can survive not only the strongest, but the ones that can adapt to changing environment. As a leader, one would be need to have the ability to see through change in the environment while finding way to through engage and influence others. How important is having a leadership identity for effective leadership practice? In my observation, everybody has different way to communication and conducting leadership. Some are more harmonious. They are about the environment and that the atmosphere stays solid. Some are the movers. They are care about end goals. Or some might be the planner. They care about the process. Some are the coordinator. They are sympathetic. They're smoother in relationship. This is important that understanding ourselves to be able to better work with others. How do I strengthen my strong point and unitize what others are good at to work together and achieve the same goal? So understanding our own leadership identity is very important. If you want to go fast, go along. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, that's an excellent quote, Jackson. And I really like how you've got a long-term view of leadership. It's not something that you can do sort of for two or three years and then move on to another position and another organization and just sort of lead your way up, as it were. You've got this long-term view that leadership is really important uh, to yourself and your character and that understanding it and living it is an important thing to do. How would you describe your own leadership identity? Okay, I will start with a story. When I was in around three grade, uh, there was on, on time when I was walking home from school, there was a small pond with a lot of fish and a little water. So I asked my classmate, my friend, uh, do you want to try catching the fish at the first? He don't think it's a good idea because the fish belong to someone else. I persuade him by saying that we are not going to bring the fish back. Nobody will see us. So it's okay. We drag a little pond beside the big pond and just move the fish to the small one. And when we were leaving, we move the fish back. 
it was a fun day. But the next day, a stranger came knocking on our door and told my dad that all his fish are dead. I was beside my father when I heard this. How is it possible? How could he know? Nobody saw us. My dad told him that he would ask me if I actually did it. Then we will be responsible for it. My dad asked me if I did it. I really want to deny, but I don't want to lie. I nodded and was expecting my dad will be angry at me or even hit me. But he just explained to me that I shouldn't only care about my own enjoyment and bring trouble to others. This made me as a leader then to give space to others when they make a mistake and think about what other experience we can learn from this mistake. In 2001, when I first came to Shanghai to look at the location for our office, we would respond my boss. We told him that there are two good locations. He asked us, was one of the location, location that you don't think was good before? Why are you picking this location as one of the top choice? We resort to ourselves and uh, went back to discover more location that will better and cheaper. Sometimes it is better to be asking questions instead of giving answer. Sometimes we know the answers through experience, but we don't have to lecture others to do what, what to do. Instead, by asking questions, we can give others some space to think themselves. So, now, when we are talking to my client or co-worker, even with my family, I remind myself to not give just answer, but to ask question. Even when the answer are some, sometimes different from me, from mine, it gives us a chance to get to know other better. In my leadership identity, I learn to more respectful to others and I remind myself that sometimes mistake uh, opportunity to learn. Wow, that that's you know almost a parable, Jackson. A, a, a very interesting, formative um, story for the you know as as a young boy, which has obviously had <laughs> a, a great a great um, learning example for you and a, a great effect on your character now. How has your sense of yourself as a leader formed or developed over time since you started your leadership journey um, in corporations? Uh, through my training in Carnegie for the past 28 years, I discovered that leadership is really uh, how we value people and the things in life. And the value is shaped in two ways. First is past experience in life and in work. When I first came to Shanghai, I was helpful because I know the huge population in China and Carnegie was actually long even since the 90s and the 70s. I brought with me around a southern fryer and set it out to the company management as well as HR director. I was calculating around 500 we call in from the southern we sent out and from the people 
that call in around 30% will want to participate in the course. I was calling mainland China from Taiwan, uh, around 10 of them to ask them to support us with our classes. Guess how many calls came in within two weeks? Seven, seven calls. And with the seven, they first asked me if it's Carnegie training. And I said, yes. The next thing they asked was uh, pricing. I was a uh, shy for war and told them that our courses range from uh, IMB 5,000 to 10,000. Next thing I heard, pop, they hung up. I wasn't able to know what their needs even uh, and uh, where they know about us. The reality is very far from what I'm imagined. It helped me from a mindset. I could be very positive about anything, but I have to always have a plan B. So whenever I went to plan things, I remind myself what would be worth a possible scenario. For example, right now, what if COVID-19 continue to worse, worsen uh, worldwide? How should I plan my life? And what arrangement should be made on my job? How could it affect me? This directly affects my sense of being a leader. Another way that the value is shaped is our vision for the future. What do you envision ourselves in the next three or five years? For me, my goal in the next three to five years is to develop more trainers. This affects what I do. I would ask regional manager to ask junior trainer to conduct classes with me. Not saying that I am best trainer, but this is assist them to discover more possibility in training. Share a case on the client was with before, an auto, uh, automobile company, the team that the GM brought up, we can tell that uh, they act a whole and they solve issue together. I asked him, how did he come up with this way of managing? He answered that in the past, he had a vision to see the organization group as one. So he put in effort to make new employee to understanding the company mission and the values from the start. So all and the new employee could have the same values in conclusion. Values are from past life or work experience. And when we have a vision of the future. It's very important that you're taking everybody with you when you do that, that kind of sense of one company. You know, when everybody's on board with you, um, it's a lot easier instead of, as you were saying at the start, telling people what to do is not very effective. If, if you can keep everybody on board with the same values, then everybody wants to do what's right from the start. That sort of brings me to my next question, Jackson, which is what does employee engagement mean for leaders? Engagement is very important when it comes to leader and the leadership as it directly affects company retention and the employee performance efficiency. Uh, the, the 
definition of engagement is when employee in both attitude and skill are seeking to create the best results. In the study we have conducted with MSW research, we want to understand globally what is spirit of employee or engagement level. The study categorizes engagement into three different levels, the fully engaged, partial engaged, and disengaged. Fully engaged means that the employee is willing to stay in the organization in the long term, putting full effort uh, in their work and focus on their performance as well as quality. Partial engaged means that the employee only do what they uh, are taught, need to be taught on their way of working and the deep work right after their job is done. Being disengaged means that the employee bring negative attitude into work and destroy by its place distrust. As a global result, 34 of the people are fully engaged in work. 46 are partial engaged and 20% of people are disengaged. As a leader, who will you focus on? What I did before was focus on the uh, disengaged group. But soon I realized my time is actually more, uh, more well spent to the fully engaged and the partial engaged. As it's also positive influence the working atmosphere. Carnegie training didn't stop uh, with the results, but we want to uh, into in deep deep to discover what could help company get more engaged employee. We find that they have uh, three uh, uh, key factor. They are one set satisfaction toward direct managers, two trust in senior management, and the three is pride in the company. All ways of improvement in these three areas, including example, such as uh, encourage a more open communication of senior management, expressing more interest in toward employees from direct management, and the community company value as well as taking more employee advice. That's, that's very insightful. Jackson, it's really interesting to, to hear the results of those studies and then, you know, what the outcome was, how you got to um, higher engagement and, and that it all comes down a lot to communication and that the employees are listened to and that the um, managers are talking to their employees too. So everybody feels like they're part of that company because they're being listened to. What are the, some of those things that, that managers should be reminded of? Kanaki uh, have been... Uh conducting a research on the blind spot in leadership. Uh, we find that there are four key findings that uh, we have discovered. Uh, leader often forgot to sincerely compliment and appreciate this one. Two is walk the talk. Three is admit their mistake. And the last is truly listen to the employee. During one of my training, a CEO uh, once shared his opinion. He said that he often compliment uh, his employee. However, he forgot to do it sincerely. 
uh, he would normally say, good job, you did great. He find that employee care about the sincerity. The compliment should be more sometimes that is support with a fit. Uh, for example, a lot of things are hard. You, did get, you didn't get up. You are a patient person. This will be uh, a lot more moving than a simple good job. Uh, on walking the talk, another management shared his story on how it quite different. He said that originally, he asked his employee be on time, on time for meeting and end the meeting on time. But he realized that he is often the last one to enter into the meeting room and also often the reason why meeting run late. It affects how much his employee trusts him. Although it is a small thing, now he reminds himself to order talk even on the small things. Admitting a mistake is hard to leader. Recently, Warren Buffett replied admit to uh, his investment that uh, he made the wrong judgment in March during the COVID-19. The reason why Warren Buffett earned trust and respect from other people is admitting his imperfection. He is willing to share the real situation and the trust. Last, listen to employee is some, sometimes hard. Uh, might be because of the time issue. At the time, uh, we may be more experienced and tend to share too much uh, thought when others are trying to communication with us. A Fortune 500 company management once told me he used to push people when they are taking to, uh, talking to him. He went employees to get up the point and uh, he said, he says straight up. Then they realize that people stop one to communication and uh, to share thought with him. He used to think that it is their fault when they take, uh, take too much time. Don't they know that I'm busy? He once said. During the courses, he gave another thought and realized that he should try to see things from the employee perspective and he tried to stay more patient when others are trying to communicate to him. He realized that employee may be a source of creative, broke each communication or putting too much of his own thought might result in him losing such new information. This will point out a uh, brand spot. In leadership and the leader really need to make an effort to rethink and change habit. That's really interesting, Jackson. And, you know, uh, it's, it's so clear the way you've put it in those four points. It's also interesting to me how some of those four points go back to your original boyhood story about taking responsibility, but also some of them are about your experiences um, as a leader coming up through um, the corporation. And, and so, you know, they're very experiential uh, and lots of learnings in there, but you've also done studies to understand exactly what those four points are as well. I'm going to jump back to some questions now that we ask everybody at the end of the podcast. 
And the first one is, what do you believe is the difference between leading and managing? Okay. Uh, some believe in that leading is do the right things and uh, managing is doing the things right. Some of also think that leaders are the ones that create the right atmosphere and to influence others to the, achieve the goal. People need to engage to be more participative of the goal as people are more supportive of the things that they are doing. Managing is making things uh, realistic and uh, really make the uh, process right. Both leading and managing have the same five driver. That is one, self-direction. Two, people skills. Three, pros skills. Four, communication. And five is accountability. For a person to be influential, both leading and management is important. It's to make that the method work. If a person is only good with people, but can't figure out the right process, name goal, uh, then goal don't wouldn't be achieved. Uh, and the same same way vice versa. Uh, these two decks must both be strong for the for the person to be able to work. On that same note, what do senior leaders do that is different from managers? Uh, the difference is what uh, they focus on. Uh, a senior leader focuses on the big strategies and the goal of the company, uh, while management are focused on how to uh, realize such a uh, much strategy goal. Uh, managers would need to go through the specific detail as well as innovation process or workflow uh, to realize the goal. You mentioned there that senior leaders focus a lot on strategy. What does it mean to be strategic? There might be a gap between the current situation and our goals and the vision. Uh, being strategy is, uh, as a leader is making the goal and the process clean for all stakeholders. It is crucial for them to know what should they do, why, how should they do it, and uh, to what extent. From a background of over 25 years of service with the Australian Army to a position in foreign affairs and trade to 14 years in the private sector to Mayor of Southern Downs Regional Council, Tracy Dobby has experienced leadership in many different ways. Tracy has recently taken on the position of President of the Warwick Chamber of Commerce and has already spent considerable time listening to local business owners from across the region. Her focus for the Chamber is their strategic plan with an emphasis on advocating, innovating, collaborating and educating. Tracy Dobby, thanks for coming to the show. Today we're talking about leadership identity um, and how it shapes your approach to uh, leading in an organisation. What do you think it means to have leadership identity? I think we all have an identity that we take to the workplace, for example. might be slightly altered from the one that we show our friends or the one that you know, we live in when we're at home, but we all have an identity. And I think that I, I look at my own working life and I see how throughout my working life I have added to and subtracted from that identity to be the person that I am today and the way I portray myself today. I think that uh, many people are still searching for that identity. Some 
won't ever bother searching for that identity because they're not interested. But uh, I think it's important that if you are going to take on a management and leadership role that you understand who you are. And who are you? <laughs> um, I, th- I think it's important that we are ourselves. I, I spend a lot of time in the military, as you talked about just earlier, and the military is a tough environment. And back when I joined in the late 70s, um, women were less than 2% of the wow. overall number in the wow. military. And I am, I'm sitting here in front of you now, but I'm really short. I'm five foot or 150 yes. centimetres, <laughs> yeah, and very tiny. People look at you and see a certain thing in front of them, in the, my case, a small woman, a girl really when I joined. So I had to adapt to become a different presence in an environment uh, and I became very physically fit and very physically strong. So I could do everything that was required of me for my size. You know, I, I couldn't probably carry a six-foot mm. guy in a <laughs> fireman's carry, but I could sure. come close. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's about knowing who you are and adapting your personality. I have a personal um, motto that I say to myself every day, and I have said that to myself every day for about 40 years, and that is, I'm a relaxed, confident, and motivated person who is secure and has high self-esteem. I'm happy when I do my best. That's the person that I take into my life every day. So in my workplace, in my friendships at home, I am that person. And I don't know whether I've become that person or whether I have convinced myself <laughs> I'm that person by saying that mantra to myself every day. But when I was in the military, I often used to wonder about what is my core personality? Am I a really nice person with a very tough, hard core or am I opposite? Am I really a a hard, mean person who pretends to be nice? I I think it's the former. I think I am a nice person and and I have taught myself to be very tough in in tough situations. But we have to learn that about ourselves and developing that identity and, and knowing who we are is key to our success as leaders. And you know, one of the things I'm very conscious of is every night I put my head on my pillow and I ask myself how I've contributed that day. Have I done well today or have I let people down? Have I let myself down? And that's how I test myself every day. Was that reflection something that you, you learned early on in the armed forces? I mean, we're talking about a time in, in the mid-1970s when you joined and as you were saying, less than 2% of the army was female at that time, quite small stature. I mean, how much did you have to adapt and develop a new kind of identity when you started in the armed forces? It's about you get knocked down and you, you can look back. I, I remember once again a very clear incident. <laughs> the first real shock I got was um, someone standing over telling me I'd never amount to anything. And I thought to myself, because I looked around at the faces of the other people watching and they were embarrassed. That was an example of poor leadership yes. on this person's part. They were embarrassed at the way this person was speaking to me. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to be better than you could ever imagine you would be. And I then got into competitive marathon running. Wow, <laughs> you know, I, I won the Anzac Day Marathon in Sydney in the late 90s. And, and I've done sort of 15 marathons and most of them have been sub three hours. And I can take a string from that person telling me I'd never amount to anything Mm. because I couldn't run fast at the time. I drew a string back to that. So it's about when you are confronted with roadblocks, get over them. Yeah. And that adapts your personality because you know that if you can come back from one beating, you can come back from other beatings. It sounds like you've always been doing that self-reflection then. 
I think initially um, I did it without realising. You know, you think about, you know, I had great parents, I had great friends at school, I've got great siblings. Um, you enter your working environment already strong and confident and because of that you then take on situations that you think, I can get over this. We are incredible. Human beings are incredibly strong and I think we see that every day and it, it's about learning from those some of them are mistakes, some of them aren't, but learning from the situations you're confronted with. You mentioned earlier that you have a statement that you say to yourself every day. So you clearly understand yourself very well, your identity very clearly as a leader. How important is it for our students to understand who they are as a leader when they graduate? Well, it depends on the age of your students. You know, I think when I was sort of 20, did I really understand myself as I do now that I'm in my 60s? And I would have to go back and say, no, I, I didn't understand my, myself then. But the concentric circles that were around me that are experience, you know, there are only a couple of them at that stage. If I was to say to you, what was my personality then? I probably could have given you an example and probably would have been very similar to who I am today, but I probably wouldn't have been able to explain it or tell you how I got there or why I'm the person that I have because over time you build up these circles of experience. But I think it is important to have an identity. It's important to sit down and, and even write down which, that I did years ago, which is why I have that mantra that I say to myself, this is the person I want to be. If I say it to myself every day and I practice that every day, then I'll become that person. And it, it's about, in my mind, about being kind to yourself, about being kind to others. Is that great saying, you know, treat everyone as you would have them treat you? I was, that was the philosophy I was raised under and I try to bring that to my workplace. But it doesn't stop me making the hard decisions. I can still do that. I can still be quite a, a strong, tough little person <laughs> when I need to be. Do you think you, that those you work with see your identity as clearly as you see your own identity? Yes, they do because I've had people tell me that time and time again. And I think that you walk around the place with an aura, don't you? Everybody does. Everybody on meeting someone else leaves an impression behind and it's making sure the impression you leave is the best it can be. You won't impress everybody because you'll meet people in your life that you think, wow, that person is just horrible to their core. Mm. I don't want anything to do with that person. Mm. But they're leaving behind their identity, aren't they? That's what yes. you're seeing. And so it's about saying that this is the identity I want to be and making yourself into that person if you aren't already. It's about enhancing and building on your strengths and being able to build or repair or cover your weaknesses because we all have weaknesses. So is that the way to do it then for those of us starting out in trying to get into those leadership positions? Should our students clearly try and define themselves before they go for that leadership position? I believe so, yes, because the questions are going to be asked of you in any interview as, as they should be. How do you see yourself? What do you what have you got to contribute? How do you get over these situations? We always get asked those sort of jobs or those sort of questions when we're going for jobs. I remember once again back in my military days, you'd learn a lot from the military. When I was a, a lieutenant, I remember saying to my commanding officer, this is a good person as opposed to a not so good person, that um, I didn't have any role models. I didn't have any mentors. I said to him, I, I don't see any female officers in the military that I aspire to be because, you know, 2% of the military, there weren't a lot and um, there weren't a lot of senior 
female officers around at the time. And he said to me something I remember very clearly. He said, firstly, your role model, we call them mentors now, but back then they were role models. You know, your role model doesn't have to be a woman and it doesn't have to be someone senior to you. Everybody around you can be a role model. What you're looking for is you look at skills and attributes that others have that appeal to you and they will probably appeal to others. And you may already have those skills and attributes and you need to build on them. And then he gave me a poem to read, which was If by Rudyard Kipling. I love that poem. And it, to me, spells out an adaptive leader, a good leader. And if you can be the person that is defined in that poem, If, then you will have no trouble being an adaptive leader. We must put that poem up on the um, website um, for the students to read. Absolutely. Uh, I've not read it myself, but the the Jungle Book has always been a a great example of expert storytelling for a lesson. Absolutely. And and there are many, many examples, and I'm sure everyone will have their own example that they live by. And that's important. It doesn't matter what it is. It's Mm. having that goal, having an ambition to be a better person and a better contributor and a kinder person to others. And I think that that is leadership. It's interesting how you frame it in that way, because you're not talking about trying to get to a financial goal or uh, manage a a bigger organisation, which seems more interesting, powerful uh, than the one that you're in. But it's about being a better person and a kinder person. It tells us a lot, I think, about uh, yourself and your own identity by framing the discussion in that way. Well, I think understanding your goals of your organisation. So in the private sector, the organisation I worked for, and I contributed to this, we set a four-year goal. We grew 100% a year in four years, and then the company was sold. So we set the goal. You can achieve it. There's no doubt you can be tough and you can achieve those things. And there may be sacrifices away along the way. People will fall away because not everybody has the same goals or ambitions mm. as you do. And in the organisation, you can try and imbue your team with the same goals and ambitions as you have, but they won't all come along with you. I talked before about we're not all able to give 100 and 110%, as people say, but we can give 75%. We can all contribute. And it's understanding that when you are setting goals for the organisation, understanding the risks to achieving it and managing those risks. So you manage those people in your organisation who aren't perhaps the greatest contributors. You don't rely on them for a solid outcome if you know you're not going to get it because then you're just setting yourself up for failure. And this is all about setting yourself up to win. So that's what adaptive leadership is. It's a setting yourself up for you, your team, your organisation to win. You're adapting to the people within your organisation as well as the context that that you're working in. So those people are all different. So you have to adapt and lead them differently. You have to lead different people in different ways. Absolutely. You know, you'll go into an office, for example, and every person sitting there will look up at you and they will all see you differently and they will all have a different expectation. So you have to be able to read that. And I guess that's, I pride myself on having quite a high level of empathy. Mm. So I can read. I don't have much sympathy. That's where I've let myself <laughs> down. <laughs> but I do have empathy. I, I can read people and I can I can look at someone. I can understand what they expect from me. And I can give them that in order to achieve an outcome for both of us. So if someone is very chatty and they want to start the day off with a chat, I can engage in that. I can do that just as I can the person who on nine o'clock as the clock strikes, they're ready to work and they do not stop working until five o'clock. I can do that as well. 
And that's about being adaptive. That's improvising and innovating and working with the people that you're working with, encouraging them to achieve the outcomes that they think are important. Tracy, we always end these conversations by asking our guests three questions. And the first one is, what do you believe is the difference between leading and managing? Leading is about, to me, thinking strategically and looking strategically. It's about understanding today and tomorrow. Managing is more about focusing on the functions and thinking about today and getting through today and getting everything done today. You know, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I often think about, to me, you're sitting in a chair, you're sitting back, you've got your hands behind your head, you're looking up at the sky and you're doing a little bit of daydreaming and you're thinking about, this is where our organisation is going to go tomorrow. And then you lean down on your desk and you start working on your computer and, you know, working on your spreadsheets and sending off emails. You know, that's about functioning today. That's about getting through the things you're needing to do today. So to me, leadership is about being able to think about the future, set guidance and direction for those who are working with you and letting them do their job, but keeping them on track. And management is about the functionality of that, making sure that you're T's across and your eyes are dotted. I love that uh, picture you painted. That, that le- leading leading is having your feet on the desk and and thinking oh, about no. the future and it's managing. Probably not a poor analogy because not everyone is seeing it from the yeah. same perspective that I am. <laughs> <laughs> what what do senior leaders do that's different from the managers on the ground? I think it goes back to what I, I said before. It's about giving people a vision, letting them do that. It, it's about being able to step back and have confidence and trust in people to be able to do their job. I think management to me is more being really hands-on and I think sometimes um, managers are good leaders. I think that you get managers who are not such good leaders. And if a manager is a good leader, I think it's hard to differentiate because you have confidence and trust in them and and they're leading, leaving you to do the work. Whereas we sometimes think of the manager as a person who's standing over us, has got, you know, the red and the blue pen in their top pocket and dictating to us what we have to do every day. And I, sometimes I think that we can be too black and white in trying to define and separate the two because a good leader will be both. You were talking before about leaders thinking about the future. Is that strategic planning that they're doing then? Yes, it is. If you have come through an organisation from an operational perspective and you've done every job in the organisation by the time you get to the the top of the ladder, then you will need to be a special leader to be able to leave that operational connection behind you. In my time in the private sector, I worked with a lot of organisations that really struggled with this, trying to find um, a leadership team who had the knowledge and experience of operations but were able to leave that desire to get down and tighten every nut mm. and write mm. every email themselves. Yes. You know, it's it's a very hard thing to let go because operationally that's, if you've come from the operational side of things, that makes you feel comfortable and you have to be able to let that go and trust people to do the operational job that you could do better yourself in your opinion. And a leader can let go of that. They can say, I know how to do that, but I'm not going to do that myself. I'm going to let that go because I understand the importance of that to where the organisation is going. I understand how that contributes to us achieving our three-year plan or our five-year plan. I understand the importance of that operational role 
to how our organisation is going to pivot and change for the future. That's what a leader does. They don't spend all their time hovering down and around in the operations of the organisation. And for a a leader coming into an organisation like that from a different organisation, it will take them a while to earn the respect of those at that operational level. They've got to see and trust that person that they do know what they're talking about and they do respect and honour those operational roles within the organisation that, you know, unless we communicate it really well, we can leave behind and it'll cause a fracture in our organisation because we're heading off in our strategic direction, but we haven't communicated that direction to every person in the organisation. So part of strategic thinking is making sure that everyone's on board with you with that strategy. Well, it's about good communication. You're probably not going to get every single person on board. And I think that we're fooling ourselves if we think that, you know, 100% of the people in the organisation are right behind us. They will be for some reasons, but everybody comes to work for a different reason. And so we need to be able to put into words what our goals are and how those goals will impact everyone and then work with people to align what they want to achieve with the organisation's achievement then understand where the gaps are going to be because you, in your team you will have people who will not contribute and as a risk manager and any leader is a risk manager, will need to be able to understand those risks, come up with mitigating factors to address those risks so that then at the end of the day when those unforeseen risks pop up, we can manage them. Tracy, really great conversation about identity. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, my pleasure. My next guest is a president, vice president, and director of the Toowoomba Chamber of Commerce, a board member of Ability Enterprises and the John Darian Woolshed, a former Zonta Woman of the Year and a founding member of Women on the Move. Her name is Joy Mangay, and she is an active community member who is passionate about small business and especially passionate about women in business. Joy now owns and directs Classic Recruitment, a business which specializes in recruitment and human resource solutions. Joy is in discussion here with my colleague, Dr. Kate Davis, about leadership identity. Joy, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your organisation? I own Classic Recruitment and Human Resources, have done for about the last 15 years. We specialise in recruiting for small business um, and have a very diverse range of clientele. Um, I was the president of the Toowoomba Chamber of Commerce for five years, on the board for 10 Um, I sit on a range of community forums and boards, a lot of them to do with employment and small business in in and around Toowoomba, like advisory committees around um, the second range crossing and inland rail, that type of thing. So my passion has always been small business and uh, supporting small business because I believe uh, the percentages show that if, you know, we support small business, that supports jobs and that supports our community because it's small business that are probably going to employ our young people and, and that makes for a healthy society if we have good employment opportunities for young people. So the first question is, what do you think it means for someone to have a leadership identity? Um, I think people often confuse management with leadership. And leadership is something that comes from within. I think you can teach people uh, management skills, you can teach people a lot of skills, but um, something around leadership is about your own inner 
person about your integrity and your honesty and your passion for people. I think good leaders demonstrate emotional intelligence and usually concern for the people around them. So I read a a good quote the other day that leaders create fans where managers have employees. And I thought that's that to me sums up the difference. And I think leadership is something we can encourage and develop. But people have to have something integral. They have to have their own personal brand and their own moral compass about doing the right thing and operating with integrity and honesty, that those things that sound very old-fashioned actually are very, very important and an integral part of being a leader. So for you, that idea of leadership identity is really about who you are inside. Yes, yes. I think it doesn't matter whether you're a leader. It doesn't matter the field you're in, whether it's education, whether it's small business, it's engineering, it's hospitality. A leader is a leader is a leader. And often a leader is not always the obvious person in a group. It's the person who demonstrates those skills and talents that people naturally gravitate to, that that person. And I think it's because that person exudes that integrity that people feel they can believe in that person and support that person and that their decisions will be made in the best interests of the group. So I think if people shouldn't underestimate the importance of that integrity and and their own, as you say, brand of who they are. That's really important. You can't fake that. So I know we've got you here today to talk a little bit about what these concepts mean in a recruitment capacity, but I'm interested, um, you've talked about your leadership roles, both in your business and, and within the community. How would you describe your leadership identity? I'd like to think when I look back, um, inclusivity has been my hallmark. Um, I've always felt that the people around the table bring, we all have different skills because of where we've been and our experiences. And that's really valuable because you and I could look at a problem from quite different perspectives because of where we've come from. So if you, I think, you know, it's a mistake to think anyone who thinks they have all the answers is doomed to fail. You don't. Um, I think sometimes in leadership you have to make a final decision, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't ask for help or support or advice. And I think, you know, we went through some ups and downs in my time with Chamber and we came through the other side and I couldn't have done it without the people around that table who all brought quite different perspectives and I think that's what I've always valued. I know um, when we were building this, you know, on the advisory committee for the second range crossing that there were very different views. I was fighting hard for the rights of small business. Government had their perspective. The contractors had their perspective. But by all listening and really listening, we could make a collective decision that was the best for the community. And I think that's what I've, the lesson I've learned is use the knowledge around you. Uh, as I say, sadly, when you are the leader, you, the buck stops with you, but don't do it alone or you, you're doomed to fail, I think. 
Has your sense of what it means to be a leader or yourself as a leader evolved over time? Are you still, do you still conceptualize yourself in the same way now as you might have say 20 years ago or how has that changed? So when I was younger, um, I thought I'd sort of had to be seen as this know-all person that had all the answers and know everything. And as I've got older, I've realised that, um, A, people don't expect you to have all the answers. They expect you to be decisive and and make a decision. But I think um, this is going to sound very trite for someone in the more academic things but I one lesson I've learned over the years is you catch more flies with honey than vinegar that if you can encourage people to see your viewpoint by not coercing them but by explaining why you believe in something and you can't fake passion if you're really passionate about something you truly believe in it you can bring people along to your way of thinking. If you can demonstrate why you believe this is the course of action that you are taking, but, you know, don't beat them around the head because it's your opinion, so you're right. But I've certainly learned, and I think the other thing I've learned too is it's okay to be wrong. You know, it's okay to say, look, I got it wrong, guys. You know, you you had a better idea than me and I'm prepared to listen to what you have said. And, yes, you're right. You know, I, I can understand your perspective or the outcome that you perceive that I didn't. And, yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Let's do it your way. You know, I think think that's really important. So, yeah, I'm probably a lot more pragmatic than I was. I was probably a bit of a, although people that know me might think I haven't changed that much, a bit of a bullet gate. You know, I want to get things done. And um, But I think the other thing too um, I've really learned is you can never make a decision in any way without considering the human cost, that just because, you know, you think this is a good decision if the impact is too great on on the people, it's not a good decision. So it sounds to me like your leadership identity is really about valuing people and including people and considering people as you make decisions and lead. Is that a good summary? Yes, yeah, that's really important to me. And that's probably evolved over time. You know, it's become who, who I am fundamentally. And that's that's what I was saying earlier, you can't fake that. You know, and it's a mistake to try and be something you're not. You have to stick to your values and your beliefs because if people will see right through you otherwise, and they won't believe in you if, if you don't stick to that core values. So if we consider that your leadership identity is that very much around that valuing people and the inclusion and being authentic and, and true to your values, what do you think it means to leverage that? How have you used that identity to get good outcomes? Is there a particular example you could talk about? I think, um, as I say, I think I'm trying to think of an example. I, I guess just that you get, I've learned, you get better outcomes if if everyone's engaged, um, if you can make people, your people in your team or your workplace or whatever, sort of feel valued that their opinion does matter, you get a much better outcome generally. I think um, my team here at work, I'd like to think all feel valued for who they are and what they bring. And consequently, you know, we have a very happy workplace that people all feel valued and we're, you know, we might never be multimillionaires, but we're successful in that we all like each other and enjoy our jobs. 
But um, I think, uh, you know, people just need to value the people around them and understand that the solution can come from a very um, unexpected source. So I think, you know, seeing the success that we made of Chamber um, with Joe Shepherd as CEO, that we got a seat at the table um, with government at all levels so that small business was included. And we did that by lobbying and advocating, but staying true to who we were. We didn't sell our souls down the river. We didn't try and be something we weren't. We were the voice of small business. That's who we were. We never varied from that. And we kept saying, you know, how many people, small business employees, what amount of money they generate within the community, that, um, you know, this is why small business is important. And we started to get listened to. We never varied. We stayed true to our course and we succeeded. What we'll do then is we'll move on to those recruiting type questions. So my first question for you is when you're recruiting, how important is it for you to find leaders who understand themselves? Oh, very important. As we said earlier, that emotional intelligence is uh, critical. Um, I think if someone's oblivious to his own feelings, well, to me, he'll be oblivious to the people around him. You know, sometimes people don't understand the impact of what they do has. And so, you know, they've got to be very self-aware. So you need to sort of try and drill down, ask them for examples. And if, you know, they can tell you about a project they've achieved and they never once mention their team or they don't mention their the impact, like we made this decision to build this widget, but we never actually asked the customer if they wanted the widget or if they talk about, I did this and I did that and there's no we, you know, we didn't. Like if they tell me that, you know, they met with the um, the foreman on the floor and we talked about how changing this would deliver this outcome or, you know, if they want it to all be about them, and or they, you know, and you ask them, well, how, how did the customers receive that? Or how did the, you know, this idea, was it implemented? Did the workshop support that? Or did the call centre understand what you were trying to do? Or, you know, when you made this change, how, how did you implement it? If they just bulldoze on through, you think, mm, you know. So we're always looking for those sort of tells and, um, you know, we talk about their strengths and their vulnerabilities. You know, if they're uh, self-aware enough to be able to recognise what they are good at and then when they tell you where they feel they're vulnerable and you say, you know, well, how did you, how do you manage that? If they say, look, I'm not very good at delegating, but I know that. And so that's something I'm really trying to work on. And, you know, I tell my people that they need to manage me. That's that's better than if someone says, oh, yeah, I can do it all, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, understanding a good communicator, um, I think uh, you have to be able to, if you, if you can't uh, communicate your idea, no one's going to follow you. So you have to be able to communicate. But um, I'm mainly, you know, as you can imagine, if you, we look for a diverse range of people, it's like asking a carpenter to show me how to use a hammer. I don't need to do that. What I'm looking for is who you are and whether you understand enough about yourself 
to be a good leader, I think, until you can recognise both your strengths and your weaknesses, you're not, you're not going to cut it. Do you feel like when um, you ask people about their weaknesses that you get authentic responses? I mean, I know I'm always really, that's probably the question I spend the most time thinking about before an interview is what can I say that's not too bad, you know? Do you feel like you get authentic? And does it come across as, as rehearsed or tried? Yeah, it is. That's a that's a really, and I mean, you know, from the 17-year-old for their first job to the 40-year-old going for a CFO's role, you know, that really is a hard one. Um, you know, if you're not honest, people will see that. I think if you give that trite response of, oh, you know, and the my pet peeve is that one where they tell you oh I'm a workaholic that's my weakness and everything you know that I give everything to the company well I'm thinking oh, I don't want to know it you know that's not a that's not a good thing to be admitting you know because if if you have no work-life balance and you don't value your family how's your staff member who's got a small baby or a, an elderly parent or sick dog you know if you don't have that sort of empathy if if you feel you're married to the company and that's who you are that worries me about your leadership style so be really sincere about I think as you say if we all have weaknesses we hate to admit it but you know I'm, I'm the last of the perfect people I'm sure but um you know I have a lot of weaknesses I know I I'm sort of working on the things I know I don't do as well um, and would be prepared to admit to them. Um, but, yeah, don't be trite about it, I think. Don't make it up, you know. that um, Seriously, if, if you're going for a job interview, seriously do a bit of self-examination beforehand. And, you know, it might be like I'm not a good detail person. I know that, you know. I'm a big picture person. I like, you know, I can see opportunities and the poor people that work with me have to clean up behind me. And I know that, you know, that I get all excited and enthused and we could do this and we could do that, but other people have to do the work sometimes. So that's a big weakness for me. And, you know, I have to step back and think, well, how, if I do this, how does it affect my team? So I think be honest. That's an interesting weakness for you specifically to have as someone whose leadership identity is very much around people and including people and bringing people on board. It's interesting that you acknowledge that you have this weakness around what people might have to clean up behind me. How do you reconcile that in your mind? Well, as I say, that's something I know about myself. And so it's something I have to be very conscious of when I'm making a decision. Like, you know, I'd like to think I've got an empathetic personality and I can understand but you know then I think oh we could do this this would be the solution but I need to step back and think well how does that solution affect people you know does that might be a good outcome but it means someone else is going to have to do a bit extra work or pick up this or, or that so I'm teaching myself not to knee jerk like oh we can fix this like we can but at what cost so that's something on, you know, I want to fix it. But I need to think about how we're going to fix it So and the impact of other people. You know, you've talked about the fact that you need to be true to yourself in your leadership style and identity. How important do you think it is that a person's, when you're recruiting, that their leadership style and identity aligns well with the organisation and their mission and goals? How, how important is that? Oh, very, really important. I think if you're someone who has has a passion for working with people 
and wants to um, that success success is different for different people as you know and and at different stages in their life sometimes you know when you're younger it's um, you know very very economic you know I have to earn enough money to pay my mortgage and things like that and different different stages that we we all and different drivers but I think if you're a more clean that's why it's so important to be self-aware if you're a clinical sort of hardline person you're going to do well in an industrial sort of manufacturing or a finance or something where you're clear-cut if you're someone who enjoys people and outcomes and support well you should be looking in that sort of sectors and I think um, if you're going for a job, you know, do your research, really do your research, you know, don't talk to people who work either in the same industry or talk to, you know, people you admire, you know, get a mentor, someone who helps you, who knows you, you know, read their annual reports, look on their website, you know, don't try and be the square peg in the round hole because it's all going to end in tears for everybody. Don't, don't just tell the employer what they want to hear sort of thing. They'll see right through you. You know, if you're genuinely passionate about something, that will show. Do you ever think that it works for someone to adjust their leadership identity and style when maybe it isn't the right fit for the organisation? Do you think it's possible for someone to do that? Not really, no. I think you can change. I think, you know, if, if you're someone that tends to be a bit outspoken and the job you've gone to is a you know, you need, and that's what it comes back to being able to read a room. You know, I bet Kate, you've been at committee meetings, as have I, where someone keeps speaking, and you can tell they've lost the room. They're never going to get that motion up, or they're never going to get that idea on the table because they've just kept talking and they've lost the room. You know, that that being able to stand back, watch how people react, read their body language, their response, listen to what they're actually saying, not their word, just the word listen. You know, listening's a really important skill for a leader. And I think um, if you can't read the room, that's a struggle. So I think you can, you know, if you work with a, pe- a group of people that are a bit quieter than your personality, um, you can learn to just not be quite as over the top or as enthusiastic or something that, you know, be a bit more considered in your approach or or something, you know, if, if they all wear the loud Hawaiian shirts on a Friday and that goes against every ounce of your being, if it's, you know, a small thing like that, you know, learn to wear the Hawaiian shirt, you know, if they all go to the pub for lunch on a Friday and you want to be part of that team and you want to show that you're part of, that those people are important to you, do it, you know, but but if it's like, um, you know, you work for an organisation that the bottom line is the only measure and that goes against, like, I couldn't work for someone like that. It goes against your value. So don't do it. You know, it's got it's got to line up with your values. If, if it doesn't, then it's never going to be a happy outcome. You know, just be genuine. You know, stay true to your core values. I think don't get too hung up on, on the, you know, the nitty-gritty. I remember Fraser Reed Smith, when he was CEO at Heritage, said to me, he didn't particularly care what people's degree was as long as they could think. And so any good formal educate, tertiary education helps people to think, you know. So I think, you know, being genuine, being sincere, honest, 
you know i think as we've seen with australia post and things like that i think people want honesty in their leadership um, they want to respect them they want to believe in them if you're in that position value that you know then and value that people are are looking for you to be honest and sincere and act with integrity because if they see that they feel they can believe in what you're saying so I think don't don't try and be something you're not and and you know and and if you're passionate about it great can't teach you to be passionate but never lose your integrity Joy, before I let you go, I've got one last question, and that is, do you have any strategies that you can suggest for people or, you know, are there certain ways that you think people can go about getting that sense of understanding who they are? Um, how do we get that type of self-insight? I think you need to have a mentor, I think, particularly for a younger person, but I have mentors to this day. Um, someone who's you know, like your family tend to tell you what they want to, you want to hear, you know, no, you're wonderful, you're doing a great job, it's terrific. Um, but if you have a mentor, I have two, um, one from within the industry and one completely external. I remember the fellow I, I have as a mentor, I know I babble, and he's taught me at a meeting to be concise, like he will say to me, Joy, yes, no, pick one that's not who I am so someone who will be that honest with you you know someone that will give you good honest advice um, although having said that I remember hearing um, the chap that's the CEO of Lion you know the brewers and he paid an enormous amount of money to do this self-awareness training and everything he went home and excuse my friend she said to his wife that this chap told him he was an asshole and his wife said to him I could have told you that for free you've just spent three thousand dollars for someone to tell you were an asshole so you know do listen to the people around you absolutely but I think mentoring is really important for leaders I think you do need someone you can bounce your ideas off and someone who's not afraid to say joy listen to yourself you know listen to what you're saying you're you're a bit OTT now just you know as my granddaughter would say calm the farm you know that that's that's not a good outcome for you or the company or have you thought about this or someone that you trust will be honest I think that's really important I think it's important to do a lot of self-reflection you know listen to your heart a bit um, listen to how you react to things and and listen to yourself and you know and and don't be afraid to apologize that's a big one you know don't be afraid to say I got it wrong I'm sorry you know I was out of line I was out of turn you know I, I shouldn't have done that you know I think it doesn't make you look smaller I think it makes you look bigger so yeah but a mentor I think particularly for young leaders is really really important but it's got to be an honest mentor well thank you it's a pleasure to talk to someone whose sense of self is so uh, it comes from such an empathetic place and and someone who does have that self-insight so I really appreciate your time information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.